He is risen. Well, I want to welcome you this morning to Valley Life. My name is Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're excited to be able to celebrate this Easter morning with all of you. Um, what an exciting time and a joyous opportunity for us to celebrate. You know, names are deeply important to people. Uh, names are a crucial way of understanding not just the world around us, but understanding each other. Uh, our last names or our family names or our surnames um, are a way to connect us to family tradition and history. If you get on something like Ancestry.com, it's going to be through your last name that you're primarily going to trans, uh, uh, be able to, to walk through your family history, where you came from and um, what your origins are. Uh, first names are a little bit more personal. That's how we connect with one another. Um, maybe your middle name has some kind of special significance. Um, mine do. I actually have two middle names, uh, which is unusual. Um, but there are a handful of family names that have been passed down for generations. I'm a fourth generation uh, who has the name Harvey, part of my name. I'm the first one who doesn't have it as a first name. Um, I actually wasn't supposed to. Uh, my, my middle name was just supposed to be Dean, uh, which is another family name. Um, but when I was born, my parents said I just looked like this wrinkly old man, and I looked just like my grandfather and my great-grandfather, and so they're like, we have to throw Harvey in. So literally at the last minute when they're filling out the form in the hospital, they threw in an additional middle name, which I am tremendously honored to have. Though they didn't realize the challenges it would present in my life because government forms don't give you the option for two middle names. Um, so I just have to mess with those forms a little bit. But um, we, we, we all identify each other by our names. Maybe yours um, holds a lot of significance and meaning. It comes from a long tradition and family line. Maybe it just sounded cool. Um, I don't know about you, but I have three kids and the three names we chose were in part because they sounded cool. And um, they were unique enough to not be like everyone else's, but not so unique that our kids would get made fun of, like we're trying to find that balance there. Um, but probably what's even more telling is your nickname. Because that really tells us something about you. Maybe an experience or a moment in time, maybe a personality trait. If you ever wanna get to know someone, a great icebreaker uh, is just to ask them, what is the favorite, most favorite nickname you've ever had and which nickname do you hate the most? Because that will tell you a lot about them. It'll tell you a lot about what they like about their personality or experience and what they don't like. We are here today because of a name. We are here today because of a name. I want to look in Philippians chapter 2 as we think about the name that draws us here today. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God had highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are here today because of a name. Now, what I want to do as a part of our time is we look at the name of Jesus and why it's so powerful and special because of what he did and accomplished. I want to go to my favorite version or my favorite telling of the resurrection story. I'm not sure if you're supposed to have favorites, but I do. And so we're going to go to John chapter 20. So if you're following along with us in the Bible app, it's already laid out for you there. Or if you brought a Bible or want to use one under your seat or the one in front of you, um, we're going to go to John chapter 20. And as we start reading, we'll break a few pieces down and you'll see why it's my favorite. So John chapter 20, we'll start in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now this is just the setting. Okay, this is just setting the scene for us to get us from where all the main characters beside Jesus, but he's not the main character in this chapter yet because he's dead. All the main characters are located in Jerusalem and we got to get ourselves to the tomb. So this is just setting the scene, but there are some details here that I absolutely love. Okay, one of them is we have two disciples who when hearing that Jesus's body is no longer in the tomb, come running to see what's, what's going on. They wanna see the tomb for themselves. There's two disciples, Peter and John. Now, how do we know it's Peter and John? Because only Peter, well, John, we know is the other disciple, So this comes from his gospel. He wrote it. And in his gospel, John never refers to himself in the third person. He's usually referred to, and I love this, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Real humble. Uh, In verse 2, you can see it there. He refers to himself as that frequently, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. When this was written, And it started to gain popularity and started to be passed throughout the Roman Empire in the first century. When the other disciples read it, do you think they were a little peeved? Like, like that's what John did? And at that point, it's already in writing and it's spreading all over the church and all over the empire. There's nothing they can do about it now. But in John's version, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. So that's how we know it's Peter and John, uh, because that's how John likes to refer to himself. So Mary comes and she tells the disciples his body is gone. And so their first reaction is to get up and run. And this is one of my favorite details in this telling of this story. At the bottom here, both of them were running together, verse 4, but the other disciple outran Peter. John's the one who wrote that. He's the other disciple. I love the fact that this this detail is completely unnecessary. It has nothing to do with this story at all. John just wants us to know he's faster than Peter. I love that. I love it. 
And so they run, and John outruns Peter, gets to the tomb first. Let's keep going. Verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. So at least John is pretty honest. He can tell us that he can outrun Peter, but when they get to the tomb, John's a little too creeped out to go in. Like he, he gets there and he looks, but he's not actually going to go in because it makes him a little uncomfortable. And so he tells us Peter's the first one to go in. Peter's going to go in and check things out. And once everything's safe, John will go in after him. But there are some interesting details in this part as well. If you remember, when Mary found the tomb empty, she went and told the disciples, and she made this statement, they have taken the Lord. There wasn't an expectation that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They weren't expecting the resurrection. These were normal people like you and I who expected when people die and they're buried, they usually stay there. And so Mary just assumed someone must have stolen the body. That's the only obvious explanation if the body is gone. And then even the disciples go in to check things out and they see the, the linen cloths laid there and, and the face cloth and it's all folded up where the body should be. And then we're told here in verse 9, after they saw and believed at the end of verse 8, verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The disciples were on this journey trying to discover what was really taking place. This was all new for them. This was unexpected. This didn't fit within their worldview and their paradigm on how the world works. And so they're just trying to play catch-up as the story unfolds. Let's keep looking, and we'll go on to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So again, this is unexpected. The followers of Jesus are not expecting him to be alive. That doesn't fit within their worldview. That doesn't fit within their paradigm of how this world works. And so even at seeing Jesus, Mary doesn't recognize him because it just couldn't be possible. And then we continue. 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where, have you, where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She said, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. It's when he calls her by name that all of a sudden the the veil is pulled back. The curtains are raised. All of a sudden now she can see it's really him. It's when he calls her by name that she realizes this is my Lord. As we were setting the scene at the beginning of this story, John gives us this detail. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I think this is more than just a literal description of the scene. It is that. The sun hasn't quite risen on Sunday as Mary approaches the tomb. I think that's literal, but I think I think it's really speaking to a lot more. That for the followers of Jesus, this was a mental and an emotional darkness that they were experiencing. They had all left their lives to follow this one guy. This guy who came proclaiming to be the Messiah, the Christ, this anointed one. To be this new king over God's kingdom. This king that the Jews had waited centuries and centuries for who God had promised he would send this king one day to restore all the things that had gone wrong in their lives and in their people and this world. They saw Jesus as that king. And then they watched their king die. And with the death of Jesus came the death of all of their hopes and dreams. Right back to where they started. Only this time worse because they had just lost someone they loved. Not only had they lost him, they had watched him be brutally murdered. Before he was murdered, they watched him be tortured. Before he was tortured, they watched him go through five false trials. Half of which didn't even follow the the appropriate laws. And before those trials, they watched one of their own betray him. With the death of Jesus came the death of all of their hopes and dreams for what was to come. Because if the king was dead, it meant the kingdom was too. So yes, was it literally dark outside? Yes. But even more than that, this was a personal, emotional, mental darkness. Some of you have experienced that in life. For some of you, it... You might carry that weight even here and now. You might have walked in this morning just carrying a weight on your shoulders that makes all of the world around you look dark. Because there were some of your hopes and some of your dreams that have gone to die. You have had to bury things and people and plans that you loved. And this is what the disciples are in. 
this literal but personal, emotional and mental darkness until the moment Jesus called Mary by name. When he called her by name, it awakened something inside of her. You see, Mary was looking. She couldn't find. Mary was looking for Jesus. but She just couldn't find him. Mary was expecting Jesus to be found where he couldn't be found. See, she expected what all of us would expect. Dead people don't move. She thought she knew exactly where she could go to find Jesus. Not only was Mary looking in a place for Jesus that he wasn't, Mary was looking for Jesus to look different than what she actually saw. The last image she had of Jesus was of him being taken down from the cross and being wrapped in cloth to be put in this burial tomb. We spent our whole time last Sunday talking about the brutality of crucifixion, about what actually takes place at one of these events. The Bible in Isaiah 52, 14 says that Jesus would have been beaten and marred so much that he would stop resembling a human. That at some point he had suffered so much that you wouldn't be able to tell whether it was a man or an animal laying there. That was her last image of Jesus. That was the image that had been burned into her mind and her memory. And so when she first saw Jesus in the garden, she didn't recognize him because he didn't look like what she was expecting him to look like. Mary was looking, but she wasn't finding because Mary was expecting the status quo. Mary wasn't looking for her worldview to be shattered. Mary wasn't looking for her paradigms to be transformed. And Mary wasn't looking for the impossible to become possible. Some of you may find yourself sitting here this morning looking for Jesus, but not able to find him. You may be looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. You might be expecting Jesus to be in a particular building or in a particular uh, sacred place or location. You might be expecting to find Jesus in a particularly special or sacred time, maybe in some confessions or creeds that you learned when you were younger. You may be looking for Jesus, but maybe you're looking for him in the wrong place. Maybe you're expecting him to fit into your box, the box you constructed because of how you were raised or what people told you or how you think it should work. Maybe you're expecting Jesus to look different. Maybe in your mind, Jesus is a gentle guru who casually dispenses moral proverbs. Maybe you're expecting a Jesus who's outdated and irrelevant to today's culture and needs. Maybe you're looking for Jesus, but you can't find him because you're not expecting him to break the status quo. You have no expectation of your worldview being shattered, of your paradigms being transformed. You're not expecting the impossible. 
in this story, in John's account, it wasn't, it wasn't Jesus who was lost. It was Mary. In this account of the first Easter, it wasn't Jesus who needed to be lifted up. It was Mary. And it was when she, she heard her name, it was when Jesus called out her name that her eyes were opened. There's one last detail that I find interesting in this story that I want us to look at. We've already read it, but we'll look at it again. And John is just describing what happens when they arrive at this empty tomb. And John looks in. He sees the linen cloths lying there, but he doesn't go in. But Peter comes. And then Peter goes into the tomb. And then John tells us this. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. It's a lot of details. For whatever reason, John wants us to know that the face cloth and the linen cloth were both there, but they were in separate places. And they weren't where they should be, but they were folded up nicely. It seems like a strange detail. It seems unnecessary, especially in light of what they are about to see. In a moment, Mary will see Jesus resurrected. And not long after that, all the disciples will see Jesus resurrected. If you see Jesus resurrected, what does it matter what the cloths looked like and how they were folded? Here's why I think John gave us these details. This isn't the first time someone walked out of a grave in John's gospel. If we back up in his story of the life and ministry of Jesus to John chapter 11. Jesus goes to the tomb of a dear friend of his named Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for several days. He had been dead so long that the King James Version says he stinketh. I'm not lying. It's in there. You can look it up. I find that funny. That's how long he had been in the grave. Jesus shows up and here's what happens when Jesus shows up. John chapter 11, when he had said these things, talking to the crowd around him, and then he said a prayer, he, that's Jesus, cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus wasn't really resurrected. He was, he was really just revived. Poor Lazarus, he's going to have to die again. I don't know what's worse than dying once, maybe dying twice, but Lazarus is going to die again one day, and he'll be buried. This is a resuscitation of Lazarus, but not a true resurrection because this isn't going to last for Lazarus. Now, I don't think he's complaining. I'm sure he's very happy that Jesus called him out of the grave. But when he calls him out of the grave, Lazarus is still bound. And I think John is trying to give us those little details in his telling of the resurrection story to let us know that Jesus doesn't need to be unbound because he is already free. He has defeated sin and death and the grave. And now nothing, even some measly cloths, cannot hold him back or hold him down. 
He has defeated sin and death and the grave, and he offers us new life, and he calls us out by name. We are here. Many of us, because we have had the opportunity for God to call us by name, not audibly, not not in a voice we heard out loud, but deep inside when we felt God brawling us to himself to rescue us, to set us free so that death no longer defines us, so that for you and I, death is no longer the end of the story, it's just the beginning of the good part. Sin and death in the grave could not hold him down, and neither could some cloth. Jesus doesn't need to be unbound because he is already free. And today, he offers you and I that freedom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in your power you defeated sin and death in the grave. Those realities plague us and we can't do anything about them. And so you conquered them. And now you offer to open our eyes to see and to find true freedom and true life in you. A life that is no longer marred and controlled and held down by sin and by death. Jesus, we are here because of your name. Because of what you did in going to the cross of willingly laying down your life, of what you did in your victorious resurrection. You, your name is above all other names so that at your name and your name alone we praise and worship and glorify you. And we bow our knee, we bow our hearts, and we give you our lives. I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed for a minute this morning. Some of you may feel like your life right now is in the midst of that personal darkness. That your hopes and your dreams have been buried. That you've had to witness the death of things that you love. And it's in Jesus that we find true hope. We set our hope on him because death has no hold on him because when our hope and our dreams are on him those hopes and those dreams will never die because he already died and he defeated death and so this morning i just invite you to open up your heart and your mind to listen for jesus calling out your name as you feel him in your heart drawing you in to worship him to lift his name up. That's him reaching out to you. To set you free. To give you true life. Will you respond like Mary? Will you enjoy, come, and embrace him? This is our invitation for you to do that now. There's no special formula, no magical words. You express to God what's in your heart.
as we respond this morning, we're going to lift his name up. We're going to sing one more song in joyous celebration of his resurrection, that his name is above all names, and his name and his name alone is worthy to be praised. And in a moment, we'll invite you to sing with us, and we also invite you to the table in the back where the bread and the cup await to remember the sacrifice that he made for us on the night before he was crucified. Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Because he did on the cross, go to that table to take the cup and to take the bread to remember the sacrifice he made and we celebrate because that sacrifice was not the end, it was the beginning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are, the ways in which you move and you speak in our lives. And right now, we open our lives, our hearts, and our minds to you. Would you speak to us? Would you call us by name? Would you draw us into your presence as we lift up your name, the only name, worth our worship, our celebration, our praise?